Welcome to another episode of Valley Investors Edge Live. Recording this morning of December 17th, 2019, we're hosting the CEO of Flex LNG, Oishin Kalaklev, to discuss the overall LNG markets, prospects for 2020, and the differentiation between technologies of existing carriers on the water and new ships coming up. For disclosures, I have no current position in Flex LNG. I may trade this at any time. Nothing we discuss constitutes official company guidance or investment recommendations in any form. With that said, Oishin, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jay. And uh, too bad there's no dividend for you tomorrow then. Yeah, I'm uh, missing out. You know, the timing doesn't always work, but uh, you know, it's the middle of December, so we'll we'll see how the 2020 uh, positions work out. Um, so, anyways, thanks thanks for joining us. You know, it's it's been a a big shift uh, in sentiment in the LNG market. You know, a year ago today, uh, especially if you went 13, 14 months ago, it, it seems like everybody loved LNG. Right, it was very popular. Everyone was about it. Now it seems like everybody hates it. Um, how are you feeling into 2020 and beyond about the overall market? Uh, what, what's kind of going on here? Yeah, I think uh, you, you, you're absolutely right. You know, we we raised 300 million dollars of new equity in uh, October last year, and uh, you know the sentiment around the sector was very good, and it was also a reflection of the fact that. Uh, Gas prices was very high uh, October last year. Asian prices were at around twelve dollars. They are at five fifty now, so less than half. Uh, European prices were, you know, eight nine dollars. They are now four and a half, four and a half. So, so it's been a big change in the in the gas sentiment. I think in terms of the shipping, I think uh, there's not been that big shift in kind of the 2020 outlook because uh, the kind of the volumes. Coming to the market, you know, has been well known for quite some time, and the numbers of ships coming to the market is also been known for quite some time. So, if you order ships today, you get them end of 22 or beginning 23. So, so, so it takes about three years to build a ship, and uh, for the volumes to come, it takes even more time. So, so we we have still, you know, a pretty good. Uh, view of the market in 2020. Uh, I think the sentiment and around kind of stock prices is more related to, you know, what's going to happen end of 21 into 2022. So it's actually uh, not very common that you actually have shipping investors having such a long view and where basically a lot of the stocks are being halved in value based on uh, what people think about the market two years ahead. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's interesting. I mean, we like I said earlier, you know, we, we saw almost turning on a dime. You know, the investor sentiment went from very enthusiastic about uh, LNG to to quite pessimistic. And as you mentioned, the, the rates have been you know pretty decent, uh, especially, you know, for the more modern tonnage. Um, so flex LNG, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are purely um, the most modern type of engine propulsion, right? You have some Meggy and, and some XDF uh, propulsion vehicles. Um, what sort of differentials are you seeing in the market between the modern assets you have and maybe the uh, slightly older TFDEs, tri-fuels, and then the oldest uh, steamer propulsion? What, what kind of differentials are you seeing in the markets? Yeah, so, so you're right. We, 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 we are a pretty new company. We, we got our first ships on the water uh, last year, 2018, and we got four ships delivered and then another two in 19, five next year, and then the last two in early 2021 altogether. 13 ships, all the new types, so meaning, you know, the, what you would call the fifth generation ships. So first we had 
first and second generation steam. So usually you would uh, differentiate between ships built before uh, 2000 being the first generation steam and then uh, steamships built after 2000, the second generation steam. Uh, you know, slightly slightly more modern, but still they have a, a, a fuel system that uh, pretty much uh, wastes 65% of, of the fuel in, in heat loss. Uh, and then you have the third, fourth generation dual fuel tri-fuels, uh, and then the fifth generation arrived to the market in 2016 onwards. Uh, so long story short, in terms of the steam, and then we're talking about the second generation steam, you, you basically have a ship that can transport uh, close to 30% bigger parcel sizes, and then consuming almost half the fuel. So rather than burning through 180 tons of fuel every day, you are burning less than 100. So in terms of kind of uh, fuel consumption compared to how much cargo you are transporting, it's uh, it's close to let's say 60% improvement, and that's based on the on the on the steamships, uh, the second generation steam. Uh, there's uh, close to 70 ships built before 2000. Uh, of of those ships, there are 38 ships due for their 30, 35, and 40 year survey over the next five years. So we do expect some of these, at least the first generation steam, to to disappear. Um, in terms of the tri-fuels, we also have, you know, typically about 10% bigger cargo size, and rather than burning through 130, 135 tons, as I mentioned, we're burning less than 100 tons. So it's a it's a big big change there uh, and also uh, you know today people are also more concerned about uh, the carbon footprint so if you are burning through 180 tons of uh, of fuel you are you know wasting a lot of uh, valuable resources and then contributing to, to global greenhouse uh, gases and and the same goes for the tri-fuel which has uh, a much higher emissions of uh, methane basically they are not burning uh, the gas that's uh, clean as uh, the new types or, or actually even the steams. So so you have our CH4 emissions, which is much higher as well. So the, that also contributes to them being at a disadvantage from kind of uh, commercial and, uh, and not least from a carbon footprint uh, point of view. Yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely a clear differentiation between the different types of vessel classes, right? And I mean, you've you've kind of went into the specifics there. Just for investors who are looking at the current rates, because right now the current rates are usually still um, shared in, in tri-fuel benchmarks like TFDE. So when, when they look at a, a tri-fuel benchmark and they see, you know, 80,000. 80, how does that translate? Just I know it's I know it's not always the same. I know it depends on the prices of LNG and and, and the routes and voyages and so on. But um, what is the usual premium between say the tri fuel at eighty thousand and what you would expect to earn on on one of your ships? I think you know the general answer would be that uh, you would see ten to twenty thousand dollars premium on the new ships, and it that's kind of the calculation based on how much fuel are you burning through, and of course. Higher gas prices means, uh, of course, it's more positive for the less fuel efficient now uh, for the for the more fuel efficient ships, uh, and then cargo size. You know, you also have a bigger typically cargo size on on, on newer ships than the oldest ones. So, so to the, today, if you look at you know the quotations, uh, uh, I would say you know the Atlantic is very high today, and Atlantic rates for high fuel and uh, and the new type, you know, the the Maggie XDS. 
Så Trifuls probably around 100,000 for Atlantic and 120,000 for a, a, a new Mega XDS type. So it's a 20,000 differential. Pacific, there's more ships today available, and uh, but the spread there is around fifteen thousand uh, dollars. You know, with uh, the new ships that's around hundred, while the trifle is probably more like eighty-five. So still, it's a, a pretty good rate environment for for shipping. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for clarifying that, you know, it's roughly, 10, I know it's different, but it, it's roughly ten to 20,000 a day because it is interesting when we look at these index quotes and we, we see the rates and, you know, investors see, you know, 80,000 or 90,000 or even 100,000 on the tri-fuels and, and your ships are doing, you know, ten to 20,000 above that. Um, but as we can see by the stock prices, uh, I mean, the entire sector has been very beat up. Um, however, we did get... Uh, just a few days ago, uh, phase one uh, trade deal between the United States and China. Uh, does that impact the LNG trade at all, do you think? Is it, is it too early to tell, um, or, or are there some benefits to the sector? Oh, I, I think uh, we would expect to see improvements for the LNG shipping uh, market uh, due to this phase one. Uh, you know, before the, the, the conflict started, uh, China was the third biggest importer of U.S. LNG, and they gone from being the third biggest to virtually having zero import. Uh, so last, uh, they haven't done any imports from the U.S. for eight months, I believe. So, so they have been sourcing gas closer to home uh, from, let's say, Australia, more from Qatar, and then we have seen uh, the Koreans and not least the Europeans buying more U.S. cargo. So it's a big, uh, big increase in U.S. Uh, cargoes going into Europe, uh, it's not only related to the trade conflict, but it's also related to the pricing of the gas where it's been, you know, better to transport to Europe where you have a shorter sailing distance than, than Asia. But that said, I think, uh, you know, you could expect that you would see the Chinese showing some some goodwill by sourcing some U.S. LNG uh, just to kind of show good faith uh, with the agreement. So it wouldn't surprise us that they, you know, our next step for them would be to not only source uh, soybeans and uh, crude and uh, coal from uh, from U.S., but also LNG. Um, before the, the trade conflict also, you saw several of the projects in the U.S. which are chasing FID for, for uh, expansion or, or, or new production. They were chasing Chinese buyers, which, of course, makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Chinese are expecting to increase their import a lot, uh, and they also have financing, so they can provide both financing and offtake. Uh, and it would be also a good way for the Chinese to alleviate uh, some of the issues related to the trade balance. So if you're buying, you know, three, five, six million tons of U.S. LNG and you, you multiply that by, let's say, a 20-year contract, you know, you get a big uh, number, which, of course, I'm sure the, Mr. Trump would be very happy to tweet about. Uh, so, so in that sense, you know, it's, uh, it's a kind of a quick win politically to, to, to do some more deals. Yeah, th- thank you, Oisin. It was interesting to see the details of the, the phase one deal emerge and then to notice that the tariffs on LNG and on LPG and on crude oil, uh, they still remain in effect from China. So it's interesting to see that and, and we'll see if it may be a phase two deal or some sort of a transitional agreement uh, where those tariffs come down. 
because um, you know it was interesting. I, you had a really good slide on your Q3 presentation. I, I you know I pulled up your presentations before you came on the on the line this morning, and I noticed on on slide 14 on on Q3, and you know when we post this up later and and uh, to uh, Seeking Alpha as well, we'll make sure we include the slides. But uh, slide 14, you show that the growth year over year from the United States uh, was massive in terms of exports, but very little of that growth went to Asia. And of course, the Asian route is the furthest, is the longest one. Uh, so yeah. if that balance will shift next year, where the US still keeps growing in their exports, but a massive amount of that goes to Asia, you know, as an investor, that's something that I'm hoping for. And in fact, I was very disappointed this year that that didn't happen. So I'm, I, I share your optimism. I will see exactly how that transpires. Uh, hopefully it's sooner than later. But uh, real quick, we, we're, we're kind of pivoting back a little bit. But you, you made a comment earlier. Uh, you said something about steamships being gone or steamships being dead. Um, what did you mean by that? And, and, and how fast do you expect that to transpire in the markets? I think uh, you have to differentiate a bit between the, the first and the second generation. So I think the ships built before 2000, uh, those are, you know, there's around 200 steamships on the water today. So it's not like you could get rid of all the steamships very quickly because uh, they represent close to 40% of the ships on the water, uh, which is, you know, but which is structurally good for uh, for us with the new ships, but because those are the ships that will eventually leave. But of those 200 ships, there are close to 70 ships built before uh, 2000. These are the first generation steam. They typically have a very small parcel size, uh, around 125 to 130,000 cubic. So just just the parcel size makes it very hard to, to trade them because uh, it's a bit subscale. Uh, and then, of course, uh, those ships are getting aged. So uh, you have to take them through class survey every five years, which becomes increasingly expensive, especially if you have to, to, to let's say, change the boilers. There are two big boilers on these ships. Uh, and then, of course, just the pure economics of, uh, of the ships. They are wasting a lot of the cargo uh, through boil-off because uh, ships built uh, before 2000 don't really have a lot of, uh, you know, good insulation. So you have a very high boil-off, and, and that's why they have been using steam power because you have had lost a lot of excess gas you have to get rid of and an easy way to do that has been through a, a steam cooker but as everybody knows uh, a steam cooker is not very efficient and that's why you don't have steam trains today you, you don't have uh, a lot of steam engine in, in other shipping segments it's basically only LNG you still have have those kind of engines around so, so I think you know eventually as these ships are going through uh, Class service, you will see a lot of these ships uh, disappearing from the market due to kind of the efficiency of the ships, the cargo sizes, but also in, 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 in uh, more in, in the future now, I believe, also due to the carbon footprint, because we do see increased focus from the energy companies, and energy companies like Shell, they have implemented uh, targets for carbon emission reduction where this is part of the management incentives. So for them to take uh, a lot of steamships on charters is not very attractive, uh, also in relation to, to carbon emissions. So, so that gives us a, you know, a pretty structural soundness of the market where you have close to 40% of the ships 
having a propulsion system that are uh, obsolete. Yeah, we, we can definitely see that. And, and I was, again, looking through some of your slides, and I see you've, you've bracketed it out. You call it LNG 1.0, and you talk about the steamer ships, and then you talk about LNG 2.0, and then, of course, 3.0 being the latest propulsion technology. Um, are there any further advances in, in propulsion technology or anything you see on the horizon? I, I know we talk a little bit about sometimes uh, the carbon reduction and IMO 2030 or even IMO 2050. Um, are there future advances to be made? And, and if so, what would those be? And what are the kind of challenges uh, that Flex would face uh, towards 2030 in terms of uh, and more environmental regulations and, and reducing carbon emissions? Yeah, I think, uh, of course, there's always advances. And of course, we are happy that there are advances. But uh, I think from us, you know, it's not like we're new to LNG shipping. Uh, this group, uh, you know, our biggest shareholder, John Fredriksen, uh, founded Golar LNG back in 2000. He sold out of that company in 2014. And then we have set up uh, our new LNG shipping company, Flex LNG, where we took deliveries of, of first ships last year. So, but what, you know, the, the reason for us investing $2.5 billion in, in new ships is, Really simple. It's because if you look at shipping in general, you 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 got rid of the steam engines uh, 30, 40 years ago because they were so inefficient. And uh, the LNG shipping market has been basically a backwater where you have had very obsolete technology because of the uh, you know the, the the kind of idiosyncratic reasons uh, with the gas handling. So. Just to summarize quickly, it's, our ships is basically a thermos, trying to keep the cargo at minus 160, that's minus 260 Fahrenheit. But then you have some warming up of the cargo, and in order to keep the atmospheric pressure, you have to take some of the, the, the kind of the, the, the gas out. And of course, you can't vent that gas, so you burn it. And, and that's why we had this steam engine. So uh, from our side, it's more like we've suddenly gone from LNG shipping market or shipping technology being a backwater where you had obsolete technology and now suddenly we are in the forefront because we've now gone through the shift of having diesel electric ships, uh, the LNG 2.0, and now the LNG 3.0 where you have a two-stroke. So if you're buying a, a big tanker ship today or a big container ship today, the engine you would be using is a two-stroke slow-speed engine. Uh, those are the most efficient engines. Uh, the only difference is that all engines can run on both fuel oil and gas. Uh, so that means you've gone from being the lagger to suddenly becoming the leader. Uh, and if you're looking at tankers or container ships today, they are looking into maybe we, the next ships we are building, we should have a slow-speed two-stroke engine with uh, gas propulsion. So that means that you know the, the technological risk has become much less because suddenly you have ships that are in the forefront technologically-wise, uh, and you have a lot of ships on the water who don't have this technology, meaning all the 200 steamships, all the 160 uh, dual-fuel ships. Uh, so the kind of the technology risk going forward would be much less. Of course, there would be, probably you would see some ships becoming a slightly bigger, you know, maybe... 200 cubics, you might see some improvements on the hydrodynamics of the ships. You might see these small changes, but we don't really 
envision a, a kind of a, a engine revolution where we will suddenly change the engine again. Uh, but it's rather, you know, small improvements. Uh, I think the next thing would be maybe having slower speed because LNG ships are pretty quick. Uh, we have three ships next year which have full relic systems where which we can run them on a on a slower speed than uh, the traditional speed of, of LNG ships. And of course, uh, speed reduction is, is extremely efficient. You know, usually if you increase speed by 10% on a, on a ship, you are increasing uh, fuel consumption by 30%. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to see those uh, the vessel speed curves and and how the uh, different shippers respond to the markets and you know of course when rates are really strong when they're a hundred thousand dollars or more a day uh, we're we're probably not going to see those ships slowing down for for efficiency gains but uh, we we could see that in the future as you mentioned and you know it's always you know investors look at the market and they see look it was you know it was LNG 1.0 uh, you know just a decade ago. Right. And then yeah. just just four years ago, TriFuel was almost the latest thing. Right. And and so there's a concern that, you know, may, where's LNG 4.0 and that sort of thing. But but I, I think you attacked a lot of the, the little uh, nuances and, and things about that market. Um, let's just talk real quick about TriFuels, because I know a lot of investors have stocks and companies that might have TriFuels. Um, what is the differential? I know you said 10 to 20,000 a day. Um, is there a clear future uh, for the TriFuels? Do you think they'll be uh, retrofitted? Or um, how do you see those ships uh, working in the next decade or so? I think uh, the Trifuels will be around. They are kind of the workhorses. Uh, I think the steams are, you know, if you're going to get rid of 200 ships, uh, you know, eventually you, you, you can't afford also getting rid of the 160 Trifuels. So, so they will be around. They have a, a better cargo size. Usually a Trifuel ship is between... 155 to 174,000 cubic. So you don't really have the big issues there with uh, a subscale uh, cargo capacity. I think uh, fuel efficiency is, of course, much better on a tri-fuel than a, a steamship. So rather than burning through 180 tons, you are burning maybe 130 tons. So it's a 50 tons uh, improvement. I think the biggest challenge for the uh, tri-fuels is uh, emissions, uh, and this relates to the CH4 emissions. So uh, a tri-fuel has a four-stroke medium-speed engine, uh, and uh, that engine creates electricity. So you, you are basically you are, have an electricity plant on board, and electricity runs the, runs the ships. But uh, the engine is not very good uh, at combusting the gas, so you have residues. So once you are burning through it, you will have some methane slip, which we call it. And uh, methane is, you know, if you, you look at the 100, you know, it has a shorter half-life than CO2, but on a 100-year perspective, it's 28 times more uh, kind of, has a 28 times higher global warming potential than CO2. So if you are emitting, uh, let's say, 2.5% of this, uh, then it's, it's the same as uh, you kind of you, you lose uh, you lose a lot of the of the of the kind of the environmentally uh, credentials of natural gas compared to let's say heavy fuel oil or uh, or diesel. So so that's that's the main challenge on on, on the on the tri fuels the CH4 emissions and uh, you know wouldn't rule out that uh, you know you have had no uh, 
Uh, more restrictions on socks, so you've gone down to 0.5 for uh, sulfur emissions from 1st of January next year. We have had three rounds of reductions from uh, NOx, which is tier 1, tier 2, and tier 3. So I wouldn't rule out the next kind of emissions focus would be CH4 emissions to make sure that uh, uh, ships are also dealing with those kind of emissions, which really aren't regulated today. Yeah, thanks for that, Oishin. It's always good. As I know we have lots of investors on the line, and, and they'll be listening later when we post the recording. And you know, and a lot of these investors are, are spread throughout the sector, and there's a lot of your peers uh, who have some of these older vessels, uh, firms like, of course, Gaslog and Golar and, and some other companies like that. Uh, so it's always good to kind of see what everyone else is doing. Um, you mentioned, yeah. you know, IMO 2020 regulations, which of course are we're already starting to see the impacts of that in other sectors you know, crude tankers and product tankers and containers and so on. Um, officially, that starts in just two weeks, right? So right around the corner. Are there any direct impacts to the LNG shipping sector from IMO 2020? Or is that purely for other types of vessels? In, in general, uh, all LNG ships, you know, they burn LNG. So you have LNG on the tank and, and, and you use the boil off to, to, to run your engine. So LNG or, or methane is sulfur free. So this is IMO compliant, uh, and IMO 2020 is very positive uh, for the LNG business because what you are seeing today is people have to make uh, some decisions. Either they can buy diesel, which is you know, at least twice as expensive as uh, LNG on our kind of our burn value, uh, or you have to put in a scrubber, but scrubber isn't really a long-term solution. It's a Short-term solutions, you might have them in for three years, five years. Usually when people are making an investment decision, they want to have a payback of, let's say, two years because of the risk associated with it. Um, and then you you could opt for LNG fuel. So we see more and more shipping segments opting for LNG because it's a long-term solution to to to, to both SOX and, uh, and NOx issues and, and also in terms of CO2 emissions. So, so with the LNG... Uh, you, you get a cheaper fuel and a cleaner fuel. And we do see cruise industry is definitely buying into it. And it also makes sense for them. They have a very high speed and they are into a lot of these emission control areas. But we also see it on container ships. There are big container ships going on a predictable route. So it's easy to get the, the bunkering uh, for those ships. But we're also seeing it in the tankers, aframaxes, and now also wheel to seas. So this will eventually lead to more demand for LNG as LNG becomes a pretty big and substantial marine fuel. Uh, so in that sense, it's good. Uh, when it comes to specific implications for LNG shipping segment, it's more related to the fact that there are actually 44 LNG ships on the water, which is not IMO 2020 compliant. The, the Qatari Q-Maxen and Q-Flex ships these are the biggest ships. They are ranging between 216,000 to 267,000 cubic. Those ships were built uh, in the mid 2000s when gas prices were very high and heavy fuel oil was cheap. So those ships were built with uh, a two-stroke engine because they wanted the most efficient engine. But where they are reliquifying all the boil off, so they are reliquifying the boil off, putting it back to the cargo tank. And then they are burning heavy fuel oil, and it's been very profitable for them 
But from 1st of January, they have to buy diesel, and that's much more expensive than burning the gas they have on board. So, of course, for those ships, uh, those 44 ships, it's a pretty sizable number, especially given the fact these are the bigger ships. Those ships need to be either converted, or they have to buy diesel, or they have to put on scrubber. But uh, I think, you know, the interest for putting on scrubbers on LNG ships is not that big, so we would expect them to be converted. And of course, a conversion of the main engine takes some time. So, so that, you know, all in all, uh, for LNG shipping, it's, it's very positive with more focus on emissions since uh, LNG is the, the cleanest hydrocarbon and it's IMO 2020 compliant and there will be more ships uh, running on LNG going forward in, in other segments than just the LNG segment. Yeah, th- thanks, Oish. And yeah, I, I figured there would be your answer would be similar to saying that hey, it's it's not something we have to worry about because we're already compliant. Uh, but at the same time, right there's there's these other avenues of of opportunity uh, as fuel prices and other sectors go up, and, and LNG prices, of course, natural gas prices are very cheap globally, hmm. right? So it makes the fuel more interesting. I didn't know about the Qatari ships there, so thanks for that uh, piece of information. I think that's very interesting to see that we might have some some off hire. Um, in the markets here, perhaps uh, as soon as next year. Um, let's let's pivot a little bit and talk flex LNG specifics because I, I think we've really hit uh, the overall market things really well here. Um, you you have some more vessels delivering in 2020 and into 2021. Um, most of those right now are exposed directly to the spot market. Is that something you plan to keep up, or are you going to put more of your fleet onto time charters for revenue stability? Yeah, no, so uh, what we have communicated is that uh, we would eventually take more longer-term contracts. Uh, I think, uh, to, to be pretty frank, you know, I think 2019 has been disappointing uh, in terms of uh, results compared to what people envisioned for 2019. So we were very comfortable having a lot of ships uh, in the spot market in 2019 because 2019, you have a huge growth in production. Its uh, production numbers will probably be up by 35 million tons this year, and that's only about 40 ships due for delivery in 2019. So the only reason why kind of rates haven't gone up to the level seen last year, it's it's been the low gas prices and uh, resulting in a, a lot of the the cargoes heading into Europe with uh, with the growth uh, you, you explained a bit earlier in the process. So we haven't kind of felt a sense of urgency to, to run down and, and low bid in order to get uh, any long-term contracts. But, uh, you know, it's one thing having four ships in the spot market like we did last year or six this year. Uh, next year it will be 11 and then 13. And, and we don't really plan to have 13 ships in the spot market. So we have said that as we have more ships on the water, uh, kind of our operational risk increases. And then we would like to mitigate that by having some more uh, visibility in terms of, of employment. So we just recently announced our first you know, real long-term contract, which has a minimum period of five years, but up to 10 years with Gunvor, which is the, actually the biggest uh, charter of, of spot ships in the LNG space, both in 2019 and, and 2018. So we, we would uh, envision to do more deals uh, with, uh, you know, longer-term tenor. Uh, for 2019, we actually had 
half of the fleet on on uh, contract on TCs while half the fleet's been spot. Uh, we have one ship that's been with NL uh, since uh, June. Uh, it's the Flex Ranger on a one plus one year contract. And then we did uh, Flex Enterprise with uh, our super major in, in, in March for a one year firm contract on a, on an index. And then we have also done Flex Rainbow on an index linked contract. So actually kind of a spot exposure spin a bit less than, than, than uh, probably some, uh, some, some people recognize this year. Uh, but all, all that, that said, two of the contracts been on, on index because we have been bullish about the, the race environment for the second half of the year. So when we were in March, April, we didn't want to, 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 to kind of fix those ships out on, on the level seen in, in, in March, April when the market was uh, pretty poor. So rather than we, we put them on index, secured utilization, but also secured, uh, uh, exposure to 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 uh, the upside on the race in the second half of the year. So uh, going forward now with the, the 2020 ships, we we also plan to 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 do to to secure a bit more longer term contracts. And and one of the things we've been very busy with the last year is to build a a full in-house ship management company. So uh, about a year ago, we started that process by recruiting a lot of people. We put in a lot of processes. And, and actually, October this year, we, we received what you would call a document of compliance, or which is basically your driver license. So that means that we now are able to take the ship in-house, which usually the, 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 the big uh, charters prefer when they are doing long-term contracts. Yeah, it's good to see that you have the in-house operations set up, and, and that puts you on an even keel with, with some of the other uh, firms in, in the space. And I, I know as investors, we look at this and we see the spot rates are very volatile, and we, we see the seasonality there as well. And a lot of times, also, we see utilization numbers uh, you are panning out in like the 60 or 70% range, uh, especially that's what we're seeing from some of your competitors. Uh, so if you do get some of those index link charters and can get that 100% utilization, that could be uh, that could be very interesting for you guys. Um, your fleet is is already financed, right? And cash flows are, are pretty strong in this rate environment. So what is your primary utilization of cash at this point? What are your priorities? Do you look at, uh, I know you just launched a dividend, your very first one. Uh, do you look at maybe increasing the dividend going forward? Or do you maybe look at repurchases? I know your stock trades at a discount to NAV. Or is, is are you more so focused on deleveraging? How, how do you prioritize those? So we just announced a, a 629 million financing for five ships. So we have seven more ships uh, for delivery. So we can use those that that financing on five of the remaining seven ships. But we also put in some features there. Uh, one feature is that we can increase the leverage by 10 million each ship in case we get five-year or longer contracts. Um, we also put in something called a swap option. So in case, let's say, we are doing a long-term contract with uh, somebody, we can finance that ship uh, uh, bilaterally with somebody and, and use the, the $629 million financing also on the 2021 ships. So, so we, I think we, you know, we're pretty good covered for financing. We have done close to $1.3 billion of debt financing this year. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, and, and, you know, the equity, we, we already raised. So we raised $300 million last year. So we, we don't really plan to, to raise any more, uh, 
uh, equity financing. The remaining capex on the 2021 ships is $126 million, which is similar to the, the bank financing we put, put in place this year for the ships. Uh, so in terms of capital, uh, I think, you know, during 2020, we will uh, arrange financing for the two last ships. We, we didn't want to put it in place now because we don't see the need to pay commitment fees for one and a half years in advance. We got more than a billion dollars of uh, demand for our 629 million financing, so we wouldn't have any issues upscaling it for the two remaining ships if we wanted. Uh, so that basically put us in a position to uh, consider returning capital. So tomorrow we will pay our first dividend. It's 10 cents, which is basically the clean apps for uh, the Q3. So we generated uh, close to $30 million of revenues in, in Q3, and then we have guided that the revenues for Q4 will be 50 to $55 million, so an increase of 20 to $25 million. Uh, and of course, that means that we are generating 20 to $25 million more of free cash flow, because uh, our, our kind of uh, costs are pretty fixed. It's the OPEX. Which we have guided at around 13,000, and then it's uh, interest and amortization and depreciation is of course non-cash, but it's uh, a PNL element and it's pretty much in line with the amortization. So that means we're generating, rather than kind of having a let's say a clean cash flow of a, about five million dollars, you would expect a clean cash flow of of uh, 25 to 30 million for Q4, and of course. Uh, we are free to pay our earnings out as dividends. Uh, when we are uh, looking at dividends, we are, of course, not only looking at a quarter in isolation. Uh, we are looking at uh, the kind of the outlook and, and how we are booking the next quarter. Uh, but we definitely have a lot of uh, dividend capacity for Q4 at, uh, and much more than for Q3. If, if the boards uh, would like to, to, to utilize that uh, flexibility. When it comes to buybacks, of course, our stock is uh, way below NIV. Uh, so it's something that has been discussed. I think what we rather decided to do was to pay a dividend and then investors can themselves decide whether they want to utilize the, the dividend to buy more stocks rather than we as a manager doing that decision for them. Interesting, Oystein. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for clearing up the uh, the capex numbers there. I, I know you have a, on one of your slides. It looks like yeah, the 2021 ships. Uh, you're going to finance those later as we get closer. Of course, that that does make sense. And then of course, in 2020, there's minimal uh, commitments left, only about 56 million, which at these rates is it seems to only be a. Uh, about two quarters or so of cash flow. Um, so just to clarify, it sounds like I, if I heard you correctly, um, dividends are, are are going to be closely tied within reason uh, to your actual earnings. Uh, maybe so, and cash flows, of course, are even higher uh, with depreciation on there. And then you're you're not going to do repurchases because you want to give investors the option to do whatever they want with their dividends. Uh, so just clarifying, I heard you correctly there. And that sounds like going forward, I know it's not maybe official guidance at this point, but if earnings keep increasing, then Flex is probably uh, set to pay higher dividends. I think uh, you could expect the same from us as the other John Fredrickson companies. Uh, we have several uh, shipping companies uh, listed. Uh, we have Frontline, the tanker company listed in New York. We have Golden Ocean listed at Nasdaq. 
and then ship finance or SFL Corp, uh, also at New York Stock Exchange. So, uh, you know, if you look at their history, you know, Frontline been paying out $6 billion of dividends since listing. Uh, so, uh, so uh, and, and typically the, the, the dividends are closely tied to, to the actual earnings and Frontline also announced Tencent for Q3. Uh, Ship Finance has paid out more than $2 billion of uh, dividends since listing in 2004. So, so you know, you are absolutely right. Our earnings is the foundation for our dividends. Uh, we are not going to make all the investment decisions for the shareholders. If we are generating free cash flow, we are paying that out. If we are doing transactions, we can rather go back to the market to, to raise equity. Usually, that this is something that most shipping companies do uh, the wrong way. They typically they invest when they are earning a lot of money, <laughs> and then when you have a down cycle, they, they don't have any dividends to pay. So so we rather when you're generating a lot of free cash flow in shipping, you should be paying dividends. Yeah, def- definitely interesting question. I, I definitely agree. You want to be counter cyclical, and you want to pay the dividends when the markets are good, and when the markets are low, you want to be buying ships. So it's good that you have yeah. that uh, that approach to things. Well, thank you, Oishin, very much uh, for joining us today. Thank Appreciate you, Jay. This concludes our episode of Valley Investors Edge Live. As a reminder, we're recording on the morning of December seventeenth, two thousand nineteen. I currently have no position in Flex LNG, but may initiate one at any time. Nothing you heard this morning constitutes official investment advice nor guidance from management in any form. 